The Commonwealth of Kentucky just recently implemented a new website to support nonprofit organizations in the state. The website is going to be through Serve Kentucky, and it aims to provide efficient volunteer recruitment and management systems facilitating Kentuckians' search and response to service opportunities within their communities. It will also help to better track volunteerism in the state. In this age of the pandemic, virtual volunteers have become a trend that every nonprofit will at some point implement in their engagement strategies. I spoke with a woman who has been doing just that for the last three years out of Florida. Listen to Small Shop Fundraising now to see how you can implement a virtual volunteer program in your nonprofit today. Welcome to Small Shop Fundraising. My name is Liz Hack. I'm your host, and this podcast is dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. And today on the show, we are talking about virtual volunteers. With the pandemic, we have to find ways and creative ways to engage with our donors and our volunteers. Most uh, statistics show that Volunteers are twice as likely to give to your organization than any other type of donor. So it's important to engage them. And today on the show, we have Anna Taylor. She works with the Greater Sum Foundation. Anna, welcome. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Now, Anna and I met each other on a national Facebook group dedicated to nonprofits and specifically to small to medium-sized nonprofits. Anna, tell us what you do at the Greater Sum Foundation and then what the foundation does in itself. Sure. So uh, the Greater Sum Foundation is, we are ourselves a small size nonprofit. So I am the executive director and I wear most of the staff hats, (laughs) (laughs) including working directly with nonprofits and recruiting volunteers. What exactly does the Greater Sum Foundation do for those small to medium, those small nonprofits? Sure. Our mission is to connect early stage nonprofits with the resources that they need in order to grow and become more sustainable. We do that with a combination of skills-based volunteers and network building, training, and we do pitch competitions for nonprofits in our network. That's amazing. So it's a membership organization or is it a network? We are an operating foundation. So we both conduct our own programs and we give grants. So not only do you support with resources and training events, but you also potentially can give grants to help nonprofits grow within your network. Is that right? Exactly. Well, we will definitely link your uh, website to this uh, episode notes. Um, Are you geographically in one area or are you nationwide? We are based in Jacksonville, Florida, but our our operation and our volunteer base is all uh, nationwide across the U.S. So anyone can apply. Um, Most of my listeners are in Kentucky, so they will be happy to hear of a potentially new resource. Great. Um, Jacksonville, Florida. Can you give us um, maybe an example of how you interact with small nonprofits? 
and the success that you've had? Sure. So we are actually switching our model a little bit this year. In the past, we have done an application and then a pitch competition, and we have selected winners of that combination to award grants and connect with skills-based volunteers. And what we realized from doing that, we were pouring a lot of energy into a few organizations and we had the capacity to do more in terms of volunteers and training than we did in terms of grant making. So this year we shifted to a virtual incubator model and that really plays into our strengths because we're natural national, because all of our volunteer work is virtual and our training lends itself really well to a combination of webinars and then peer chats and coaching sessions. The incubator model was really an exciting fit for us. So with this, we're able to, we still have a short application at the front end because we are looking for early stage or startup nonprofits that have an innovative model that they are trying to figure out how to make it financially sustainable and replicable. So we take a look at, could this fit with that type of nonprofit we're searching for? And if the answer is yes, then they're welcome to participate in the incubator. So in the incubator, like the current session that we're doing, we've got 20 nonprofits from all over the country wow. doing really cool work. And every Friday they get together and talk with subject matter experts. They talk with each other. They share resources and questions and, you know, kind of brainstorm solutions and the end of the incubator will be the pitch competition. I manage the request a coach portion of the incubator and it is so fun for me to see requests come in and then look at our database of members and volunteers and be able to say, oh, I know exactly who to introduce this person to for a coaching session. So that's been a fantastic way of mobilizing the resource that we have in great supply to serve more nonprofits. The How? communication between nonprofits has also been really exciting to see. How do you recruit your coaches? How mm. do you recruit your nonprofits? Is it specific nonprofit sectors that you focus on or how does that work? Okay, so I'll start with the nonprofits. We have four funding areas, education, health, environment, and community building. That sounds super broad, right? <laughs> well. So our founder really didn't want to zero in on his personal interests. He's zeroing in on the idea of innovation. And so his take on it is, I don't know where the new innovative idea is going to come from. So I don't want to miss it by being too narrow. And that approach lets me get out into the nonprofit community. You mentioned that we met in a Facebook group. Facebook groups for nonprofits are a great source for me for sharing what we do and getting it out to a wide variety of nonprofits. Um, in pre-pandemic days, I did a lot of, you know, conferences and visiting communities and, you know, kind of doing in-person follow-up on our network. But right now, 
it's been entirely virtual. So Facebook groups and LinkedIn have been a great sources for us for getting the word out. Is that how you also recruit potential coaches to support these nonprofits? Yeah. So recruiting volunteers, there are two things that have worked really well for me. One is LinkedIn and the other is communicating with our existing network, what our needs are and how different individuals that they may know could fill those needs. So sometimes we have people who have been grant readers for us and they may not realize that someone in their network could be a, you know, a marketing subject matter expert or an IT subject matter expert. So communicating to existing volunteers what your different needs are is really the way we get solid introductions. And then the other thing that I, I've managed volunteers in different capacities for a long thing. And one thing I've realized is that if I get up in front of people and say, I think y'all would all be great volunteers, <laughs> that doesn't have any personal meeting or connection. They don't know me right. and they know I don't know them. So how would my assessment of their capabilities be meaningful? Right. Exactly. But if someone that you know says, you know, gosh, Liz, from listening to you talk, I think that you would be great at coaching an early stage nonprofit that's trying to figure out their fundraising model. Mm -hmm. You would say, oh, hey, friend, like, I'm glad you've been listening to what I'm saying. And you're sharing an opportunity that sounds meaningful to me. I would like to follow up. Would you make that e intro for me? Yes. That's a completely different success rate than if I'm just kind of casting out an open appeal. You could just say the same thing for when you uh, approach a donor for, for a financial ask. Being more meaningful and you know, really playing to the person's skills and, and what they bring to an organization or to a nonprofit is going to definitely be more impactful. Even if they do say no, they could then say, but I know someone else who could. That's, I remember that's, early in my career, someone in a training told me, if you want to recruit one mentor, and that's what I was, the field I was working in at the time, if you want to recruit one mentor, you've got to talk to 100 people. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I would rather talk to <laughs> 10 people who are all pretty highly likely to volunteer with us. You know, doing the work on the front end and then also engaging a bigger team of people looking for volunteers really increases the success rate. Sure. And having that group who may have already, you've provided them a resource and they can, you know, they can endorse you mm -hmm. to your, uh, to your success and, and all the things that would entice someone to, to come on as a coach, they're hearing it from someone else and not, not the salesperson, you know? Yeah. That's, right. that's wonderful. That's so how many, um, to quantify these, how, how many uh, nonprofits have you all worked with? And then, you know, how many coaches do you have um, in your Rolodex? Yep. So over the last three years, we've worked with about 35 nonprofits. We have probably somewhere in the 50 to 60 volunteer number. So those are folks that do long-term coaching relationships with volunteers. The majority of our volunteers do what we call micro consults, which are 
you know, hour long conversations that are focused in on if a nonprofit is trying to figure out a specific new area, they'll talk to one of our coaches and say, like, what would happen if I expanded our operation into different states? Or if I'm thinking I need a new software platform, how do I know I really do? And how do I assess what's out there? Right? So they don't need a long-term relationship around that. They need someone to say, okay, here's what I've seen. Here are the big issues that come up. And here are the areas where you may want to do future work, or you could do this part yourself. You might have to hire a consultant or an attorney for this part. And that way the nonprofit doesn't just kind of walk into it unaware. Wonderful work it sounds like you guys are doing over at Greater Sum, and it fits really nicely into the the virtual volunteer. And that word, I think, that, that phrase has taken on so many different meanings, even, you know, before the days of the pandemic and now that we're mm-hmm. squarely in the days of social distancing and not being able to congregate together. What do you think virtual volunteers mean to the nonprofit industry as a whole now, as opposed to maybe what you all do at Greater Sound Foundation? Right. What I see among the nonprofits in our network is virtual volunteers have this incredible capacity for patience and flexibility and commitment to the mission. So folks who used to do a volunteer task in person, and now they're really cooperating and partnering with the nonprofit as they figure out a different approach. I've seen, you know, volunteers that used to visit the elderly and are now helping those same folks figure out how to order groceries on Instacart or Zoom with their grandchildren, you know, so they're, they're taking a community that they love and support and figuring out new ways to help them through the pandemic. That is so impressive to me, both that folks continue to have the bandwidth to give and to have empathy and think of other people's experiences, and also that they have the flexibility and the patience to learn new systems themselves and, you know, not get that personal sense of, you know, gratitude and well-being. And, you know, there's no hugs or high fives during the pandemic. And that's really hard as a volunteer and as a volunteer coordinator to lose that personal contact. Yes, absolutely. The hugs and high fives are definitely missed during this time. If if I'm a development coordinator or if I'm a executive director of a of a small nonprofit and I and I don't know how where to start um, and I don't know how to do virtual volunteer strategies or programs what would you say is their first step trying to engage or re-engage their volunteer base that's a great question so there are a couple of things that come to mind first is finding the, the platforms and technology that you think will be a good fit for your volunteer base. You introduced me to Clean Feed today for this call, you know, and that's a resource that I'll bring back to my team for communications recording. So 
we all learned a lot more about Zoom than we ever thought we would this year, right? But now there are starting to be really interesting ways for people to connect. In our incubator, we're using, you know, breakout rooms and different communication methodologies that are more effective and meaningful to folks virtually. So I think one of the first things to do is figure out how are you going to have people connect and how is that a good fit for the virtual opportunity that you've decided will replace in-person volunteer opportunities. And so you guys at Greater Sun Foundation, you all use, sounds like Zoom with their added features of breakout sessions. Is that right? Yeah. We also added a Zoom webinar subscription to our account for the time during our incubator where we are doing webinars with, you know, we'll have 40 people on the line and we don't want the, there's different features. So that was one of those, you know, and I mentioned I wear all the hats. So it's really me spending a morning like, oh, well, what do I like about this? And what does this cost? And how would that work? And well, what if I need it recorded? And how will it fit here? And all of that is a little bit labor intensive. It's it's definitely a good subject to make use of a skills-based volunteer. You know, mm -hmm. if you've got someone in your network who is doing this professionally, who's in training and development or, you know, communications, and they're using a lot of different tools and platforms, it's a good topic for a micro consult. What okay. tools are out there? What are the pros and cons? People are writing a lot of blog posts and doing a lot of webinars on this actual topic, mm -hmm. but you really want to be able to just kind of ask somebody specialized questions about what you're trying to get done. What would you say the best way for, for folks who, who may not be in the Greater Sum program, how would you suggest people find folks that nonprofits need in order to answer some questions? I would suggest taking a look at the, the webinars and the platforms that you have been invited to you, right? So if you've attended a webinar and it was better, you know, than, than your average webinar, it's not unreasonable to give someone the compliment and slight ask mm -hmm. outreach of saying, you know, gosh, your webinar on fundraising the other day was amazing. And I really loved the way you engaged the audience. Do you have time to do just a quick call with me about how you learn to do that so gracefully. I completely agree. Even if it's not uh, a phone call, but uh, just an outreach to maybe yeah. your a Facebook group, like we were talking yep. about earlier, Anna. Finding that the way to ask for help can be maybe one of the hardest things humans can can do to help themselves. Um, yeah, and yeah, I've read psychological studies on this. Like, if you ask people how many times like how many people do you think you would need to ask for help with directions before someone helped you and the answer is always higher than the actual you know so people are are much more willing to share information than we think they're going to be so what are some of the best practices on virtual volunteers and then i'd like to hear some myths that you think people feel about virtual volunteers. So let's start with best practices. Yeah, I mean, I think best practices involve meeting people where they are. 
and figuring out what their preferred methods of communication are. If you're used to seeing people in person, if you are, you know, used to doing volunteer recruitment talks at organizations, then figuring out where your potential volunteers are and where your existing volunteers who you're trying to transition into a virtual relationship, where do they hang out online? Is it on Facebook? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it on Twitter? Is it just email? How do you communicate with them in a way that they don't lose track of your messaging or miss it all together? And it's easy for them to communicate back with you. That's definitely a best practice. And then another one is remembering that online communication is different than in-person communication. So figuring out the right tempo for the number of communications, the number of times you restate things, how often you let an, or how long you let an email message percolate before you do a, you know, hey, just checking in nudge on an unanswered email, finding your voice, hitting your stride in that area improves your relationships with your volunteers. So what about some myths about volunteers? You know, when I was researching this topic on social media, I was seeing how some people were discouraged about using their virtual volunteers because they quote, don't show up or you know, they have no idea what they would use. They just need someone to fold envelopes or fold letters mm -hmm. to put in envelopes. What are some, some myths or, or things that you've heard that would be discouraging? So I've heard people assume that connecting virtual, now before the pandemic, people assumed, oh, well, it's not a meaningful connection if it's virtual. Like how would we bond in the way that we do in person? And what we're seeing is that not only are people connecting in new ways virtually, but they're finding a lot of meaning in these connections. So we use volunteers from all over the country. And one thing that I think is really special about that is that we can connect nonprofits to folks that they never would have run into in their local community. So really expanding their network. But one of the other things that's been really special about it is for our volunteers, we're gift wrapping and presenting them with an opportunity to do something very impactful from home. I'm getting more feedback from my virtual volunteers since the pandemic. Now we've been using this model since we got started, but since the pandemic started, our volunteers it, it's hitting a higher threshold for them, the opportunity to connect with someone that they otherwise wouldn't have known, wouldn't have been able to help. And then also to kind of dig into a nonprofit's mission and help them strategize. It's been a lot more satisfying than people realized it was going to be. That's really fascinating. And I wonder if it's because it satisfies some inner value that folks have that they just can't get because mm -hmm. of where where we are today with the pandemic and our CDC guidelines. Have they talked about why now it's so much more fulfilling? I'm thinking about what people have said, and I think it's been just the surprise of we've increased our kind of short-term 
commitment volunteer opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so one thing we've done is put together these groups we call wise crowds. So if a nonprofit comes to us for a with a question, we can pull together a group of three or four volunteers to listen, ask clarifying questions, and then give advice or suggestions. And it only takes 45 minutes and people are really digging it. You know, like it's, it's a way, no one is going out to lunch with their friends. Yeah. No one is, you know, going to Rotary or, you know, doing the small things that we schedule into our workday that have meaning and form community. And so opportunities that do that are filling a real gap in our volunteers' lives. So not only in the nonprofit's needs, but we're also, we're kind of giving back to the folks who have been volunteering with us. Remember, if somebody has been coming to your facility and volunteering on a regular basis, and now they're not, they miss you. So if you don't create a virtual volunteer opportunity or a virtual continuing education opportunity or something like that for your volunteers, maybe probably for your donors too, mm -hmm. you know, you're missing out on the opportunity to be that trusted source of community. I'm just thinking about something that I participated in earlier today, and it was a virtual tour of a newly renovated nonprofit that I had volunteered with when I was in high school. And I was looking forward to being able to go into their facility, but because of guidelines they are no longer allowing it right now but the virtual tour was just so impactful for me just to be able to see after their huge capital campaign they just had their newly renovated uh, nonprofit and and just them putting together a couple of uh, like a minute and a half maybe of, of what their renovation looked like it really did do that connection back yeah. to the organization and I was just thrilled for them and thrilled for our community. You're absolutely right. We have to be creative in re-engaging our donors, re-engaging our volunteers, and however we can, even if it's uh, virtually or through a conference call like we're doing right now. And people yearn for that. You're right. Really great insight, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. As a wrap-up, though, I do have some one common questions I always ask my, my interviewees every episode. And so I'd like to ask, you know, what one thing do you love the most about working with nonprofits? What do I love the most about working with nonprofits? I love to remove obstacles and give people the resources that they need to get going. And earlier in my career, I did that in a direct service way in college readiness. And then I kind of moved back to work with training staff in that organization. And now I feel like I've moved my focus out to where I'm using the same lessons of volunteer management and a nonprofit career to just help people identify and solve some problems that, gosh, I just hate to think of those things being roadblocks in their organization fulfilling their mission. So what is one thing that you love less? So not hate, but just love less about working with nonprofits. Right. The thing that I love less is that there are some hard truths and unsolvable problems in our industry. We all deal with scarcity 
you know, I realized early on in matching volunteers with nonprofits, my volunteers would come back and say, I helped them, you know, work out their RFP for software companies, but gosh, they could also use some help with fundraising. <laughs> and yeah, every nonprofit, they wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't make sure that everyone they come in contact with knows they also need funds to help meet their mission. Dealing with the uncertainty of funding and fundraising is the hardest part. When folks are, are putting in more than full-time work on delivering their mission, and then that is taking them away from capacity building, there are no easy answers there. So I'm grateful that you and people like you are out there helping nonprofits figure out that fundraising capacity building. Well, thank you, Anna. I appreciate that. What is one of your favorite resources? One of my favorite resources for nonprofit management and kind of getting a bird's eye view on our industry and also just as an outlet for frustrations and laughing together is Bully's blog, Nonprofit AF, <laughs> and the coordinating Facebook group, Nonprofit Happy Hour. We will definitely add those to the links to those to our show notes so people can see for themselves. Um, okay, so what is one thing that you are doing personally or the Greater Sum Foundation is doing to promote equity, inclusion, and diversity with your mission? That's a great question. And it's definitely been an important topic of conversation for us at every level. Um, looking at our back office and our board, diversity has been a major focus area for us this year. And then also looking at the networks where we are recruiting participants for our programs. We want to find the best solutions to the problems that are challenging folks right now. And equity in access to resources and well-being is huge in that respect. So we want to make sure that we are connecting with and providing solid services to organizations that are working in the equity space. Great information, great knowledge uh, uh, to share with our audience today. This has been a wonderful. This has been an interview with Anna Taylor from the Greater Sum Foundation. You have been listening to Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening.